Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. How you guys doing? Doing all right? Good. It is good to be back with you. Welcome to those of you joining us at one of our physical campuses at Apex or Garner or Morrisville or Raleigh. And welcome to our online family that is growing every single week in Florida, New York, California, and Washington. I checked in on Saturday night, I think, last weekend, maybe Sunday morning. But special welcome to you, K-Dub. I see you're still hanging out there. We've had some conversations before. Uh, But we are in the second week of our series that we have been calling Inside Out where we're addressing um, the most pressing emotional and spiritual struggles that we've been going through as a culture. Uh, Last week, we talked about anxiety, the topic of anxiety. And I just want to thank you for your kind and encouraging responses. I got emails. I got text messages. I got Facebook messages. Uh, One, you guys love the resource that we put out. So if you don't know, you can go to gethope.net slash inside out. And you guys love the prayer prompts. Some of you use the questions for uh, discussions with your family around the dinner table. And at the end, uh, there's links to blog articles and to books that take these topics into much greater depth than we can go to in 30 minutes. So you guys love that. And also, thank you to you counselors and psychologists that reached out to me. Uh, It's intimidating to not be an expert. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't have an anxiety disorder. So it's intimidating to not be an expert and have to get up here and teach about this stuff. But I heard from numerous professional counselors just say, thank you, Hope. Uh, for taking the time to address these topics, and thank you for handling it in such a biblical and practical way. So thank you guys for that. Uh, This week, we're going to be talking about a topic that I am an expert on, unfortunately, (laughs) and it is the topic of anger. And uh, this is a topic that hits close to home. Uh, This is one of those weeks where I'm like, are you sure you want me to, like, teach on this? Like, do you know me? Uh, Because I have had past struggles with anger. I struggle with it now. I've gotten better. But what I've learned is that I'm not alone. Every single person in this room and watching online or at one of our campuses struggle with anger. Anyone want to raise their hand and say, I've never gotten angry before? Nope, no one wants to do that, right? Because we all feel that. But here's the deal with anger. Everyone experiences anger and displays and processes anger completely differently. You could put two people in the exact same circumstance, so waiting in traffic or waiting in line at the DMV, and those two people will respond very, very differently. Because the way that we process and display our anger has to do with a ton of different factors. Uh, one of the most important factors that, that uh, instructs the way that we process our anger and display it is how we saw it modeled as children growing up. So my parents are very, very different. My dad, you're not going to believe this, but my dad, I only remember him raising his voice or yelling at me one time my entire childhood. So he's a chill guy, and I deserved it during that one time, okay? My mom, on the other hand, is a little bit different. 
Uh, she's a little bit passionate. I'm a little bit passionate. She can get fiery. I can get fiery. I remember Olympic-level yelling matches with my mom where I would raise my voice and she would raise her voice, and then I'd start yelling and she'd start yelling, and the neighbors would kind of look out the window, make sure everything is okay, and then I'd get in her face, and then she'd go to whoop me. And then, if you got a southern mom, you know what this is, the butt-whooping circle. It's where you try to run away after she whoops you and she grabs your arm, and she's yelling and she's whooping, and it's this big butt-whooping <laughs> circle, all right? That was my mom. Let's just say I take after my mom way more than my dad's side, okay? And not only does the way that we process and display anger have to do with how we saw it modeled, but also different personalities display anger in very different ways. My wife hates yelling. She can't stand it when I raise my voice. She says all the time, don't yell at the kids, don't yell at the kids. So I, I work on that. But then I'll hang out with my sister-in-law, who's from Long Island, and she's an Italian, and I'll just mention the fact I'm, not, I'm trying to not yell at my kids like this month. And she looks at me like, how are you going to raise kids without, what, what? That's how you raise hellions. Like, you want to raise hellions? That's how you do it. I'm trying to work my anger up. I'm trying to yell more this month, right? But that doesn't mean that my sister-in-law is an angry person because she's not. And that doesn't mean that my wife is not an angry person because she definitely can be. She just displays it differently. She just lands these liver shots in my back when no one's looking. Not really. But... <laughs> There's not really a true caricature of what an angry person is. It's almost impossible to say this is an angry person and this is not. You know, I've met the guys that are super, super angry and they're big and hairy and they start bar fights and they yell at people in traffic. By the way, usually Buffalo Bill fans, not all the time, sometimes Raiders, but usually Buffalo Bills. But then I have met the nicest and the quietest teeny tiny little old ladies and you get to know them, and you're like, they're so peaceful, they're so quiet. And then after a while, you're like, oh my goodness, this is the angriest person on the face of the planet. And she doesn't yell, and she doesn't throw things, but she just says these sarcastic things underneath her breath that just like make grown men cry, okay? And she's just as angry as that big angry guy. See, we're all different in how we handle anger, but we all experience it to one degree or another. And I think it's safe to say that everyone watching online or at a campus or in the room right now, I think it's safe to say that every single one of us has an anger problem. And I can prove it because all of us have memories of anger getting the best of us. All of us have moments of anger that we wish we could take back. When we type that email in all caps and we press send, then we heard a ding in our inbox and we're like, ah, oh, I replied all. I wish I didn't do that. Or that decision that you made in the heat of the moment that you wish you could take back. Or those words that you said to a friend or a relative or a roommate or a loved one that just cut them right to the heart. And they bring it up from time to time and you wish you could take those words back. We're all familiar with those embarrassing moments. Just the moments after that we give in to anger. We've all felt the shame. We've all experienced the relational fallout. And we've all had to deal with the consequences of letting anger take over. And I'm sure over the past 18 months, we've had our fair share of anger, right? I mean, that was like an experiment in how to make the most amount of people the most angry in the shortest amount of time. So anger is at an all-time high. But what I want you to see today is that anger, according to the Bible, is really like, it's like nuclear waste. It's like a poison. And the longer you hold on to it and refuse to process it, the more damage it's going to do to you. And you're going to bring that poison into every single relationship that you go into if you don't process it. 
So we have to learn how to deal with it. We have to learn what it is, and we have to learn how to process it. And thankfully, the, ba- the Bible gives us a whole bunch of help. But here's the thing. When you begin looking at everything the Bible says about anger, you learn real quick that anger is not a simple topic. It's very, very complex and honestly kind of confusing. Uh, one of the first things you'll see is that God himself feels anger. He gets angry, and he gets angry often during certain parts in the Bible. You can't get through the first book of the Bible without seeing him feel anger towards uh, Cain or feel anger when the uh, human beings built the Tower of Babel or anger at the whole human race right before the flood. And you see verses like this in 1 Kings, and the Lord was angry with Solomon, or in 2 Kings, therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel. Or in Isaiah 5, therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. And then you flip over to the New Testament and you see that Jesus, God's son, is no different. Jesus gets angry as well. Uh, In Mark 3, after the Pharisees get angry at him for healing someone on the Sabbath, it says, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Or maybe the most famous, famous time is where Jesus walks into the temple and figures out the Jews had turned it into a casino. And what does he do? He he gets angry. He starts flipping over tables and whipping people with a DIY whip that he made specifically for that occasion. And when he's flipping over tables, he's not saying, hooray, it's good to have you in the house of the Lord. No, he is angry and he, he feels it and he displays it. And what you also see in the Bible is that you and I were created in God's image. So it shouldn't surprise us that we feel anger as well. In fact, anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. In certain situations, anger is a correct response. In certain circumstances, if you don't get angry, something's wrong with you. When we see injustice, when we see the broken world for what it is, when we feel anger, oftentimes that's just our emotions sinking with God's emotions. It's us feeling what God feels when he sees injustice, when he sees death, when he sees abuse. It's appropriate. And Paul says this point blank in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, be angry, but do not sin. And a lot of people try to get around those first two words. They want to throw them away, but you can't. It's a command in black and white. Paul says, anger, yeah, go for it. Feel it. But he qualifies it with do not sin, which we'll get to in a second. And so the first thing you see in the Bible is that God feels anger, Jesus feels anger, we're created in his image, and oftentimes it's appropriate to feel that anger. But if you keep reading, you'll see that 90% of the verses about anger don't say embrace it, they actually say stay far away from it. A lot of the verses, most of the verses in the Bible about anger warn us of the consequences of holding on to it. It can be destructive. And Psalm 37 says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Or Proverbs 14, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exacts folly. Or James 1.19, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so you see the Bible kind of say two seemingly opposite things. That God feels anger, Jesus feels anger, you should feel anger in certain circumstances. But we also see these warnings about the destructive power of anger. So what is it? Should we embrace it? Should we try to feel it? Should we stay away from it? Well, here's how I would explain it. Any of you know what this is up on the side screens? 
Uh, go ahead and yell it out. First one online, just type it in. First one to get it will get a signed picture of uh, Aaron Pelsu's beard. I can make that happen. I made sure. So type it in. You guys yell it out. What is that? It's a check engine light. That's right. So when that bad boy shows up on your instrument panel, it is a sign that something is wrong. It's a signal that your car is about to break. It means your tire pressure is low or your engine's about to overheat or you're out of oil. And it's just this little signal to notify you that something's off, something's wrong, and you need to fix it. Now, different people respond to that check engine light in different ways. So when that thing pops up on my wife's car, she immediately calls me. Where's the owner's manual? Where's the closest mechanic? If that thing even thinks about cutting on, my wife takes her car to the closest mechanic, gets a full tune-up. She makes sure that that car is in working order. Me, on the other hand, (laughs) I have about five of those lights on my truck right now, and I don't know what four of them mean, and I don't know how long they've been there, okay? That's not good. If I do not heed those warnings, what's going to happen? My car is going to break down, right? It's going to be useless. So I need to get that fixed. But it's the same with anger. You see, anger is a warning that something is wrong. That's why God has given us that emotion. It's just the way that our heart tells us this is not right. When we're in Home Depot and we see a dad yelling or belittling his kids, our heart says, warning, that's not right, that's wrong. When we see injustice at our work or we hear someone call someone else a racist name and we feel that anger, it's our heart saying, warning, that's not right. Or even in the little petty things, when we're stuck in traffic and we're late for work or when our boss gives us a project and and we we don't want that project and we feel that anger rising up in our spirit, that's our heart just saying, warning, that's not right, that's wrong, you need to fix it. And so when we feel anger, that's God's way of cluing us into the fact that we just witnessed something that's wrong. And when we feel that, what we're supposed to do is to step back and process it. We're supposed to deal with it in a timely manner, like my wife and her check engine light. We're supposed to deal with it as quickly as we can in Ephesians 4, where Paul says, Be angry, but do not sin. He goes on to say, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. He says, when you feel it, that's okay, but you need to process it quickly. Like any longer than 24 hours, that's not what he recommends. Or in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, so put away all malice or all anger. And the verb there to put away is to cast aside, to throw it away. So when you feel it, it's like hot potato. You're supposed to notice it's there and then pass it on, cast it to the side. As soon as you realize it's there, you need to get rid of it. And here's why. See, when it comes to anger, God and God alone can feel it and harness it and use it in a way that responds to his glory and our good. But we can't. God and God alone can feel anger and act and not sin, but we can't. Anger's just too powerful for us. When uh, I was growing up, about 10 or 11, uh, my dad surprised me with a dirt bike. Anybody have a dirt bike growing up? Mine was a Honda XR80. Anyone have one of those? It's kind of a common dirt bike. It's a four-stroke. It's not very fast. But I rode that thing up and down the road day after day after day. Well, I took it to the dirt bike track one time. And my friend, who was two years older than me, Danny, he shows up to the dirt bike track. And he has a Yamaha two-stroke. And if you don't know the difference, it's a lot faster and a lot more powerful than my dinky XR80 four-stroke. So one day he says, hey, you want to ride my my two-stroke? You want to ride my dirt bike? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a dumb 10-year-old. So it's about two feet tall 
taller than my dirt bike. I can barely reach the pegs, but I get on there and I rev it and it sounds good, so much better than mine. And then I pop the clutch and that dirt bike goes about eight feet in the air. And the next thing I know, I am just catching my breath in the dirt at the dirt bike track because it bucked me off. See, I was not powerful enough to handle that. My, my friend was, but that was too much power in my hands. And it's the same with anger. God can feel anger and act and not sin. We can't. Jesus can feel anger and act and not sin. But most of the time, we can't. Anger's too strong. It easily gets out of our control. And what we find is that if we hold on to anger, it can easily lead to things like bitterness or contempt or cynicism, or hostility, or violence, or resentment, or judgment, or pride, and a whole lot of other things. So the safest thing that we can do is to lay it down. Now, that is radically countercultural. So young people, college students, young adults, listen. There are thousands of people in our country right now that want to harness the power of anger. They want you to get angry. They want you to get other people angry. They say, how in the world can we right the wrongs of the world without anger? And I would just highly caution you there. The Bible would caution you as well. I love what Dallas Willard said. Whatever you can accomplish with anger, you can accomplish better and uh, you can accomplish more and in a better way without it. So we need to lay it down and we need to lay it down as quickly as we can. And I want to show you how to do that. So anger... Is, is God's way of telling us, alerting us that something is not right, that something is not wrong. It's our heart basically saying, that's not right. But we run into a few problems that you need to know about when we process anger. The first one is this. There's a problem with our heart. You see, our heart is sinful. It's not righteous. It's broken. And it can't always be trusted. In fact, the Bible says you should have a healthy distrust for your heart, for what your heart says to us. So when that warning light goes off and we feel anger in our hearts, it can be one of two different types of anger. It can be righteous anger or it can be unrighteous anger. You see, righteous anger happens when something is getting in the way of God's desires. Righteous anger happens when we see abuse or when we see injustice or when we see unfairness or when we see something broken in the world that just shouldn't be. Unrighteous anger is when something gets in the way of my desires. It's when I'm stuck in traffic and I just want to get to work. It's when, again, my boss gives me a project and I don't want it. It's when I want to watch TV after a long day and my kids start fighting. See, over here, nothing is in the way of God's desires, but there's a lot in the way of my desires. My desire for peace, my desire for comfort, my desire for pleasure, my desire for contentment, my desire for just 30 minutes to myself, right? So the first step of processing our anger when we feel it is we have to ask ourselves, what type of anger is it? Is it righteous anger or is it unrighteous anger? And now we enter into our second problem because here's the deal. Your heart will always try to convince you it's what? It's righteous anger. It will exist like this, it will act like this never existed, okay? Every single time you feel anger, your heart will plead with you to, and defend it that it is righteous anger. So you're sitting on the couch and you just want to watch TV and your kids start fighting. Your heart will never say, maybe that's a little selfish. Maybe you should man up and go parent. No, no, no. It will always say, you deserve to sit and watch TV. This is a righteous cause. 
This is Braveheart territory, all right? This is your God-given right as an American. Your grandfather did not go to war so that you would have to sit on a couch and listen to kids fight, right? You work hard. You deserve this. You bought the stupid toy that they're fighting over. This is your right. This is a righteous cause. Your heart will always try to convince you that your anger is righteous. A lot of my conversations with my teenage daughters are them getting angry and then convincing me for 30 minutes why they're right to be that angry. Or how about this? (laughs) Maybe I'm the only one. Has your spouse ever gotten mad at you for something that you've done in their dream? Yes, I'm not alone. It happens like once a year. And even though it's in their dream, what? They'll stay mad at you, won't they? My wife will wake up grumpy and I'll be like, why are you so angry because of what you did last night? Like, I didn't do anything last night. Yes, you did. What did you do? You attacked me. I did not attack you. I was sleeping. How did I attack you? She's like, it's not important. I don't care. I'm angry at you. How did I attack you? You and a herd of monkeys attacked me with bananas for like two hours last night, and I'm mad at you. Or she'll say, she'll say, you cheated on me. I'm like, I would never cheat on you. Who did I cheat on you with? I'm not telling you it's not important. Who did I cheat on you with? The Queen of England. But still, I deserve a faithful man even in my dreams, right? Because even though it's a dream, her heart will still say, no, 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 it's righteous. It still matters. You deserve to be angry at this, right? So this is the hardest step in processing your anger because it's always hard to discern which one it is. But you can eventually. Jesus said you can tell a a tree by its fruits, right? And the fruits will usually show themselves. When it comes to righteous anger, there's usually a sadness because you see the world is so broken and so flawed. Uh, There's usually a grief and that this happened to an innocent victim, there's usually, it actually usually moves you to prayer. God, would you intervene? Right? Righteous anger says, this is not right. God, would you make it right? And would you use me to do this? And real quick, on a very serious note, uh, sometimes you witness injustice and you feel that righteous anger. Sometimes you're the victim of it. And so if you're here, you're watching online or at one of our campuses, and you have been the victim of trauma or the victim of abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, the anger that you feel is always righteous. But you still have to process it. And that's beyond the scope of this sermon, so I'm gonna point you to two classes. But if you don't process that anger, that particular type of anger has this way of turning weird. And it can turn into anger towards God. It can even turn into anger towards yourself in a really weird way. And so uh, I wanna point you to a class called Total, Total Forgiveness. Um, and that is the antidote to any anger, is forgiveness eventually. So if you've been wronged, if you just can't forgive someone in the past, you need to sign up for that class. There's another class that's specifically for women who have been the victims of sexual abuse. If that's you, I highly recommend MEND. Um, It's a class that goes through how to heal from that. And when I say class, I don't mean a lecture where you just sit and listen to someone talk. There's group discussions. You get to sit alongside people that have gone down that road. And we have seen God do amazing things, just bring about healing and restoration. So you can go to gethope.net slash classes for that. That's beyond the scope of this sermon. But that's, that's the fruits of righteous anger. God, this is wrong. Would you make it right and would you use me to do it? The fruits of unrighteous anger eventually show themselves as well. There's things like selfishness. There's things like arrogance. There's things like judgment, rudeness, violence, um, raising your voice, pride, self-pity. Unrighteous anger says something is getting in my way, 
and I'm going to remove that someone or that something. So the first step in processing your anger is you feel it and you ask your question, okay, is it righteous or is it unrighteous? And your heart will always say, is that one? Then you ask it again, what is it really? And then the second step, once you've decided, is that you need to lay anger aside and you need to replace it with something else. Uh, In that verse in Ephesians chapter 4 that Paul says, be angry and do not sin, he tells you how to process later in that chapter. And basically he says, put off the old self and put on the new self. Put off, lay aside, and pick back up. And so the second step is to lay down anger and to pick something up in its place. And depending on what type of anger it is, God calls for a different response. Most of the time that you feel anger, let's be honest, it's going to be this one. It's going to be unrighteous. It's just going to be a spouse or a boss or a roommate or your teacher or your parents. They got in the way of something that you need in that moment, and you feel this anger welling up. If that's what you're feeling and you determine it's unrighteous, the first thing you do is you lay this anger aside. You lay it aside. And the first thing that you pick up in its place is repentance. You have to repent. And so in that moment, once you figure out it's unrighteous anger, you bow your head and you say a little quick prayer. And you just say, Father, would you just forgive me for my selfishness in this moment? I would rather watch TV than parent the kids that you've given me. Or I'd rather cuss this guy out than try to hear his side of the story. Would you forgive me of my pride for thinking that I deserve this in this moment? I don't deserve anything. I'm a beggar at the table of God's grace. So you repent. You say a little prayer of repentance. And the second thing you pick up and that you do is you submit. You pick up submission. You take your desires, you take the things that you think that you need, and you put them underneath the desires and the needs of the other person that's causing that anger. Paul says in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, think like Jesus. Have the same mind of Jesus. Jesus didn't hold on to his rights, although he could have. He didn't hold on to his privileges. Instead, he laid those aside, and he put your needs. He put your biggest need before his own. See, So when it comes to unrighteous anger, you repent and you submit. So you come home after a long day and you just wanna watch TV. This is coming up a lot because this happens in my family. (laughs) So it's been a long day, you got dinner on the table, you've taken the dog out, done the dishes, got the little foster one back to bed and you wanna sit down and watch Monday Night Football and your kids start fighting and you feel that anger rising in your stomach and you ask yourself, okay, is this righteous or is this unrighteous? It's unrighteous. So you say a little prayer, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for thinking that I deserve this. Forgive me for my selfishness. Forgive me for my pride. And then you submit. You cut the TV off, and you go to the fight, and you do what God's called you to do. You parent. You step into the disagreement. You discipline. You share wisdom. You be the mom or you be the dad that God has called you to be. And then when it's over, if there's time, you go back to the couch. And you turn back on the TV. But instead of yelling, instead of throwing things, you've taken that anger and you've turned it into something productive, something that God can use. So with unrighteous anger, you repent and you submit. But what do you do when it is really righteous? Because those moments do happen. 
What do you do when you feel anger welling up inside you because you saw someone being taken advantage of or because you see some form of injustice? Well, in those moments, you do the same thing. You ask yourself, is this righteous? Is this unrighteous? If it truly is righteous, you still have to lay this anger down. As weird as it feels and as hard as that is, you have to lay that anger down. And the first thing you pick up is you pick up love. Love for the person who is being hurt and also love for the person who is doing the hurting. Jesus said, love your enemies, and it's the hardest thing to do. But the thing is, is when you start to feel that righteous anger rise up in you, along with that anger comes judgment. And when you judge the person that's causing that injustice, you are going to want to penalize them. You're going to want to make them pay the price. And the Bible says, no, 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 judgment is God's job. That's not your job. Your job is to love. So you pick up love. And by the way, love does not mean acceptance. Love does not mean that approval. Love does not mean that you act as if nothing has happened. Usually the opposite is the case. When you're loving someone, love uh, will force you to have hard conversations. It will cause you to do very hard things. It will cause you to set hard boundaries. But you need to pick up the motivation of love. And the second thing you do is you pick up serve. You serve. You say, God, this is not right. This is unjust. This is horrific. Would you make it right, and would you use me to do it? You roll up your hands, and you get in the middle of the mess, and you serve, even if it costs you something. Now notice that that says serve, and it doesn't say tweet. And it doesn't say type something on Facebook. See, I think there's a place for creating awareness. I really do. I think that there is, there is a place for starting campaigns against certain kinds of injustice. With things like human trafficking, with things like racism, with things like foster care, that sort of stuff, it is important to start a dialogue. And you can create kind of the forms of a movement there. But I think a lot of what we see in the world right now that we call activism is what sociologists would call slacktivism. You ever heard that? It's where you don't do anything, you just tweet or you just change your prof- profile picture and you just leave it there. You don't do anything else. But see, this is where we get it wrong as a culture. See, when you feel righteous anger, you need to actually act. You know what makes me angry? The fact that there are anywhere between 200 and 400 children in Wake County that are a part of the foster care system. I'm not angry that the foster care system, I'm not angry at the foster care system. I'm angry that it has to exist. That hurts my heart. But I can't just get on Facebook and rant about it and call it a day. And so me and my wife have done the hard thing, the needed thing, and twice now in Buncombe County and now in Wake County, we've gone through 30 hours of training, three hours every Wednesday for 10 weeks. We've had background checks. We've had fingerprints. We've done mountains of paperwork so that we can open up our home to a child that needs a safe place until their parents get back on their feet. And we're on our third child right now. See, you've got to act. You actually have to serve. You know what also makes me angry? Abortion. I was just looking at the statistics today. That is a tragedy. People on both sides of the argument can agree that is a tragedy. And the numbers that we're seeing nowadays is absolutely horrific. And that might make you angry as well. And you might want to post something on Facebook or you might want to tweet about it. Or you might want to take a big step and and go um, protest at the local Planned Parenthood. But I would say this. If you want to do that, you better be willing 
to turn your rec room into a bedroom for a very confused and scared teenage girl or teenage couple, and you better be willing to help them with the medical costs and walk them through that process, and you better be willing eventually to adopt one or two of those unwanted children that are so wanted by God into your home because that's what love does. It's willing to pay a cost. That's what Jesus did, right? When he was angered at our sin, when he was angered at the injustice that we were causing, he didn't just judge us from heaven and yell down insults. He rolled up his sleeves. He came down to the earth, and he got in the middle of the mess. And he was willing to take on our burden and to take on our penalty. He was willing to pay the cost, even his life. See, we have to get this. When we feel righteous anger, we have to lay that down, and we have to pick up love, and we have to serve. Say, how, how can we do? How can we help? What can we do to fix this? Now, I gotta end this sermon. <laughs> but I've said a lot. Um, and it's a lot to take in, but I wanna make sure you remember it. So I <laughs> have created a flowchart, actually. <laughs> so if you turn your attention to the side screens, this is gonna be on our social media this week. Maybe take a picture. But let's follow it together, right? Are you angry? If the answer is no, Take a pastor out to lunch because it is very rare that we get to go to someone that's not angry out to a meal. So do that. That's the most important part. All right. Yes, I'm angry. Is it righteous? Notice there's no option for no because you're not going to think it's unrighteous. So you say, yes, it's righteous. Are you sure it's righteous? If it, if it is, how can I serve and love? And if it's not, how can I repent and how can I submit? It is so important that we get this. Um, you can apply this in so many different areas. I wrote about 10 to 12 different endings for this sermon <laughs> and didn't land on anything, um, but I trust that the Spirit's speaking. Maybe some of you need to go back to your social media profile and delete some stuff and maybe change the way you use that platform. Some of y'all need to delete that app, I'll tell you that. Uh, some of y'all might need to go to someone else whom you have caused to be angry and you need to ask forgiveness and help them lay that anger down. Some of you need to take your spouse out on a date night and just say, man, the past 18 months have been so crazy, and I just realized I've been holding on to anger at you for little stuff. Would you forgive me? But whatever it is, we're going to give you some time to process and some time to spend with God. I'd encourage you, spend time thinking about this. Answer it in an honest way. And I'm going to get out of the Spirit's way and let the Spirit do what only He can do. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.